Over the next two weeks, I asked many questions and discovered many more lies. I was trying to choose joy, and I actually played joy by King and Country full blast every time I was in my car. But I was getting more confused, angry, and hurt with each passing day. I could hardly comprehend that my precious Johnny was so full of deception, and I finally got to the point where I wanted him out of my sight and out of the house, even if it was just for a day or two. But as he was packing, my practical side kicked in, and I thought, why should I punish myself because of his sin? He was supposed to be remodeling our guest bathroom that weekend, so I changed my mind and said he could stay, but that he was back in the guest room. Has your marriage been shattered by sexual betrayal? Are you wondering if there's any possible way to save your marriage, or even if you want to? Is there just the tiniest glimmer of hope that you and your spouse can work it out, but you have no clue how or where to start? Hello, and welcome to Beyond Broken Vows podcast. We're your hosts, Johnny and Emily Spiegelmeyer, two formerly seriously broken people who have been called by God to share our story of redemption and the hope that lies within every story that's fully surrendered to God. And we have been where you are, my friends. As a result of adultery fueled by pornography, the marriage vows we had exchanged as newlyweds were eventually shattered. However, we are here together to let you know that this devastation we experienced was actually a gift. On our show, we will be sharing the resources we found invaluable on our road to reconciliation and recovery. We'll tackle the topics of marriage, faith in God, infidelity, porn addiction, and recovery. We will also be taking questions from you, our awesome audience. So if you're ready to move from pain-filled todays into hope-filled tomorrows, grab your favorite beverage and spend a little time with us. We want you to know that your story matters and that there is hope for your marriage through Christ Jesus. Marriage is redeemed. Hearts renewed. On Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Hello and welcome to today's show. Before we get started, if there's anything that you hear on today's episode that brings any questions to mind, please send us those questions to support at beyondbrokenvows.com, and we will be addressing those questions on upcoming episodes. So on today's show, we have Emily telling us her story. The courage it takes to be this vulnerable is very admirable. We're looking forward to hearing your story today, so without any further delay, Emily, the mic is all yours. Thank you, Johnny, and hey, everybody. Um, I'm not a public speaker, and I'm not a storyteller. That's more in my husband's department. So today I'm going to tell you my story, but I'm going to read it to you. I figured that was the best way for me to get through it. So, okay, here we go. Here's my story. My name is Emily, and four and a half years ago, my husband confessed to me that while I was out of town at a conference, he had spent the night at a hotel with another woman. I was stunned, and I just sat there trying to process what he had just said. My heart was hammering in my chest, but I stayed calm. He told me that he was there just to comfort her, as a pastor, and talk with her about her rocky situation with her husband, but it got late and he ended up staying the night. He insisted that intercourse had not taken place. I believed him because there was no way my brain could process the alternative. And that admission was technically true. But let me back up a little bit. Actually, a lot. 
I was born into a large, wonderful Christian family. I was the seventh of eight kids, of which four were adopted by my parents. There was actually a pretty big gap of eight years between me and the next oldest sibling, so I had many traits of a firstborn. They adopted my little brother so I wouldn't grow up like an only child. I had a very happy childhood and fond memories of living in a small town in New York State. My best experience was at the age of five, my mom walked with me on our cul-de-sac and led me in a prayer to receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I was so excited that I told everyone who would listen about my Jesus. We moved to a small town in Texas when I was eight years old, and I was decidedly a Texan from then on. I was a pretty shy young girl, tall and athletic. I thought my family was the best ever, and I had on rose-colored glasses for most of my young life. I enjoyed singing and dancing to my dad's piano playing. We had a very musical family and playing sports of all kinds through my elementary, middle school, and high school years. But there were a couple of events that happened to me that robbed me of some of my innocence. I was molested by a relative when I was just three years old. I don't know how many times, but one incident is very vivid in my mind. Then when I was 10 years old, I was molested by a young family friend. I never told anyone until I was an adult as is tragically true of most children who are sexually molested or abused. I didn't deal openly with those events until after I was married. But it didn't take me to a dark place, like you'll hear it did with Johnny. I know my relationship with the Lord kept me from becoming fearful and trapped by shame. I always tried to be a good Christian girl and felt that I was expected to be perfect, so I put a lot of pressure on myself. I had semi-fame in high school for being a really good basketball player, and I made good grades. It was a small high school, so I knew a lot of the students, but I wasn't a partier, so I wasn't considered popular by the cool kids. That was okay with me. I had several really good friends, but then I met a boy. There were several factors that led me to betray my moral values, but betray them I did. And after the guilt and shame of losing my virginity at age 17, I felt like damaged goods and continued to be promiscuous for several years. After high school, I moved to Austin, got a good job, and lived with a couple of roommates in an apartment. I felt like I was living a double life because I was still the good Christian girl in some circles, but I was going out to dance clubs and partying with my friends too. At age 19, I was date raped. This was my wake-up call and was finally sick of the secret life I was living. I moved to my own apartment and cut ties with my party friends. I met Johnny when I was 18 and he is two years younger than me, but there was just something about him that attracted me to him. At the time he was dating someone and I didn't really want to date anyone, so that didn't go anywhere. But two years later, the company I was working for moved into the complex where he was working. We started hanging out as friends and eventually started dating. I knew he was considered a bad boy, but I guess I thought I could change him. I did introduce him to Jesus right before we were married, and he was very hungry for knowledge of the Bible and growing in his new faith. We were a great team and took on the world together. After a year of marriage, he joined the Navy, 
and I became a Navy wife. He served for four years, mostly on aircraft carriers out of California, and at the end of his enlistment, we had our first child, a son. We moved back to Texas, bought our first house, and had our second child, a daughter. We enjoyed our life and did crazy things like homeschool our kids and start a landscaping business. We were active in church and in ministry and worked hard on our marriage and parenting skills by going to conferences and reading all the right books. He had confessed to me that he was looking at pornography right after we moved back to Texas. I took it pretty hard, and I think it scared him. It popped up on several other occasions over the next decade, and we always dealt with it in-house, so to speak. It wasn't something either of us wanted others to know. Although we did tell a small group one time, but there was no help there as many of them struggled with it too. He saw a counselor once, but didn't follow through with anything he was told. I didn't realize just how consumed he was. I was just upset that he wouldn't just stop for good. I didn't understand addiction at the time, and he didn't know he was an addict. Even though we had those struggles as well as the normal struggles of raising a family, finances, and life in general, I still felt that we had an amazing marriage and often said we were still on our honeymoon up until about year 15 or so. We had our third child by then, another son. After that, there were more difficult times of miscommunication or non-communication while he was drifting further away from me and into his own thought life. He became a pastor, and I became a pastor's wife. He poured himself into ministry, and I felt okay with his busyness because it was kingdom work. Then he became a biker pastor and eventually joined a motorcycle ministry, and I was then a biker's wife. He was away a lot more in those years, and honestly, it started to be easier that way. I was feeling like he had a mistress, and she was called ministry. The kids were grown now, and all had left home to start their own families and adventures. And that brings us up to the year 2018. It was a beautiful day in December, and I had just gotten home from my ladies' Bible study group at the lovely home of our study leader. We had also had brunch together because it was our last meeting until spring. Before I had left home that morning, Johnny mentioned that his motorcycle ministry leaders had asked him to come see them for an impromptu meeting. He was excited because he was thinking they were going to make him president of the ministry chapter that he was a part of. When I returned home, he was already back and was on the roof of our house putting up the Christmas lights. I walked up the sidewalk and saw him up there, so I asked him how his meeting went. He said, not good. I said, oh, was it about so-and-so? He said, no. I asked, was it about so-and-so? He said, no. We can talk about it later. I then joked, what'd they do, kick you out? He gave me a strange look, shook his head, and said he was coming down off the roof. He led me into the house and into the den and sat me on the couch. He sat on the other couch. I had no clue what he was going to say but he looked really serious. I was a little unnerved by his demeanor. He finally said, When you were at your conference in Tampa, I met Susan at a hotel and spent the night with her. My head started buzzing, and a wave of panic washed over me. Did I hear that right? He continued talking, but his voice seemed a little far away. 
He said that his leadership confronted him about having an affair at their meeting this morning, and he denied it. One of the men asked him if he was sticking to his story, and then he said, no, it was true. I was stunned, and I just sat there trying to process what he had just said. My heart was hammering in my chest, but I stayed calm. I said, okay, and then I got up and went into the kitchen. I don't know what I was going to do in there. I just had to get out of the den and away from him. After a while, I heard him go outside again. He went back up on the roof to work on the lights. I sat back down in the den and noticed he had left his phone on the side table. I looked through it and found the woman's number in his contacts listed under initials I didn't recognize. I found out much later that it was the initials to her first and second name. I found some texts between them, and I had the presence of mind to take screenshots so that when he came back in to sit down and talk some more, I asked him some questions that I already knew the answer to. He lied. I told him I had read the texts so that he had to admit it. I couldn't believe he had lied to me. This man who I had been married to for 31 years and had grown up with from our teenage years. Yes, he had made some poor choices over the years, and I knew he struggled off and on with viewing pornography. A handful of times he had confessed to me over the years, whether I busted him or he had fessed up first, about incidents that were not what a godly man should be doing, were full of remorse and repentance. He often took responsibility for others, including women, who were in need either spiritually or needing practical help, and got into some gray moral areas. But I always thought of him as a man of integrity, honest, hardworking, and ready to help anyone in need at any time. And he was always so good to me and the kids. So this new revelation was just more than my brain could process, and I went to my bedroom to cry and pray. That night was very rough. I just couldn't sleep, so I got up and I asked Johnny for more details. He answered me willingly, and I tried to go back to bed and sleep, but sleep wouldn't come. I was praying the whole time and feeling God with me, but unable to stop the images in my mind. So I got up again and asked him to talk with me in the den. Our talk revealed some truths about him that we had known about for decades, but he hadn't been able to break free from. Things like, he still hates himself. He's still trying to measure up to me. He still has shame. I sobbed for quite a while and allowed him to hold me. He had a headache and I prayed for healing. He said it went away immediately. I was trying to be Christ-like and understanding, but my heart was shattered into tiny pieces and I didn't know if I could be in the same house as him. Part of me wanted to crawl up in his lap and tell him we would get through this together, that I just want things the way they were between us before he confessed to his adultery. The other part loathed letting him off the hook so easily because I feared it would encourage the same sinful behavior. But I knew I needed to leave the changing to God. I didn't know how long it would be before I could let him kiss me or touch me without seeing him with her in my mind. He was relieved to be caught and believed God could and would restore him. Meanwhile, it was all very painful for me, and I was left with so many questions and uncertainty about what the next days would be like. Johnny set up a time to meet with our pastor for that morning, and he was gone for five hours. I didn't know who I could talk to about it. 
So I spent the morning fasting, crying out to God, journaling, reading scripture, singing, weeping, and also getting my Catalyst graduation notes ready. Catalyst was a three-semester discipleship course at our church, and I had been excited to attend my ceremony with the other graduates on the Saturday after all this had happened. At that point, I wasn't sure I would even go. But God met me in my distress and gave me a sweet peace and a supernatural compassion for Johnny. This is what I heard him say. Emily, it's not your job to punish or discipline Johnny. That's my job. It's your job to forgive and work toward healing, reconciliation, and restoration. So this is what I wrote in response to the word from the Lord in my journal that gray and yet hopeful day after my day of devastation. I put Johnny in the hands of the Lord because he knows best. He's a good, good father and will work this out for our good in his perfect time. I want a thriving, intimate relationship with my husband that glorifies and pleases God. I trust him to accomplish this as we both yield to his will and die to our own selfish desires each day. I worship you in my brokenness, O Lord my God. You are worthy of all honor and praise. Well, when Johnny came home that afternoon, he said his meeting with our pastor went very well, and he was encouraged. He told me how supportive pastor was being for both of us, and he could really feel his love for him. I read to him what the Lord had told me. He was surprised, I think. Then I said that God had told me to do one more thing. I asked him to wait on the couch and not get on his phone. I ran the hot water, filled a big white bowl, and put some drops of essential oil in it. I brought the bowl and towel out to the den and knelt down and washed my husband's feet. He broke down sobbing. I told him that I love him and forgive him. I told him more about God's love for him and that I had just washed the sin from his feet. He cried some more. That night we snuggled close in bed and in the morning had a beautiful time of physical intimacy. So much healing had already taken place and I know it's because of the mercy, compassion, and forgiveness that I had extended to him and only Jesus could have compelled me to do that. Well, I wish I could tell you this was the end of that horrible event in our lives, but it turned out that his confession that day was just the tip of the iceberg. I learned much later that it's very common for a betrayer to trickle the truth out over time. This increases the disorientation the betrayed feels and can even make them feel like they're going crazy. This is what happened in our case, too. Over the next two weeks, I asked many questions and discovered many more lies. I was trying to choose joy, and I actually played joy by King and Country full blast every time I was in my car, but I was getting more confused, angry, and hurt with each passing day. I could hardly comprehend that my precious Johnny was so full of deception, and I finally got to the point where I wanted him out of my sight and out of the house, even if it was just for a day or two. But as he was packing, my practical side kicked in, and I thought, why should I punish myself because of his sin? He was supposed to be remodeling our guest bathroom that weekend, so I changed my mind and said he could stay, but that he was back in the guest room. That weekend was a turning point in our story. He wrestled a long time with God in that bathroom and finally decided that he would come clean even if it meant he lost everything. 
He wanted me to be free, free of the pain and free of him if that's what it took. And he was finally ready to confess everything. He asked our pastor if he could see us on Monday, and we went to the church that morning. Over the next four hours, he confessed to me and our pastor how he had decided that it wasn't safe for him to tell me anything about the darkness inside of him that had trapped him in a secret sin because he thought if I knew, I would get rid of him. This was one of the most powerful lies he had believed that held him captive for so many years. It wasn't long after he made that disastrous decision to keep me away from his heart that he fell into temptation and his pornography use escalated into three long-term sexual affairs with other women over a period of 11 years. He told me names, dates, and places, and as he confessed, he started feeling freer and happier. He was finally coming clean with me and with God, but that's not what was happening for me. My wonderful, safe, and secure world got turned upside down. It was the darkest time of my life by far, and I didn't know how I could live through it, or even if I wanted to. There's so much more to the story, and we will be telling more of our story together in an upcoming episode. But I want to leave you with an excerpt from a statement that I made to the audience at our vow renewal ceremony that took place almost two years from what we call Disclosure Day. These were people who had joined us in various ways on our journey from brokenness to wholeness, from hopelessness to victory. Here it is. 21 months ago, through total surrender, courageous confession, and complete repentance, Johnny was miraculously set free from a lifelong addiction and the torment of secret sin, shame, and guilt. Praise God. I, however, was cast adrift in a sea of pain and grief. My life as I knew it was shattered into dust. I had never before experienced such brutal feelings of shock, betrayal, abandonment, rejection, not being enough, and the loss of all I had known to be true. But God, in His wisdom, mercy, grace, and deep love for both of us, showed us a path to joy and freedom through reconciliation, restoration, and recovery that has absolutely blown us away. So the most devastating thing I've ever experienced has become a gift, not one I ever wanted, but one that often leaves me in awe of its power and beauty. Today our marriage is better than I ever thought it was or could be, and we are grateful and blessed to have you witness our recommitment to each other. Well, that's my story. And if you're struggling with this issue or anything else that keeps you from experiencing true peace, healing, and wholeness, we want you to know that there is help available and that God is able. Emily, thank you. To actually hear the story being told as a whole is interesting because we have lived it out over the last four years. And here we are, we, we put it into a single story in 20 minutes and it doesn't even begin to touch it. Thank you so much for the transparency for your vulnerability, the faith that you displayed in Christ that kept you, I guess the better way to say it is held you together during those times. I know that as we move on from this and as our listeners hear, they're going to be strengthened by your faith as well. 
We're so grateful that you took the time to share your story with us today. Thank you. So join us for our next episode as I will be sharing my story, how I moved from a young child so full of dreams to a place where I betrayed my wife and all of my moral values. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before you go, if this podcast encouraged you and you're feeling some hope for today, please share this show with someone else you know who is going through a similar situation and needs to know that they're not alone. One of the best ways you can help us reach more people is to leave us a written review on Apple Podcast. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And as always, we would love to hear questions from you that we can answer in our midweek show. Just email us at support at beyondbrokenvows.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.